Hey, happy Tuesday and welcome back to the Coaching Minds podcast brought to you by the Mental Training Plan, helping you overcome obstacles so that you can reach and achieve more than you ever thought possible at home, at work, and on the field. Today, we have two very special guests joining us, Ben. Let's get after it. Welcome to the Coaching Minds podcast, helping you overcome obstacles so you can reach and achieve more. Here are your hosts, Ben and C. Joining us today is Brett Ledbetter, consultant, author, and speaker, co-founder of the What Drives Winning Conference and author of four books, including my personal favorite, What Drives Winning, along with his newest book, What Drives Winning Environments. His work focuses on character development, behavior management, and priority alignment. Brett, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Also joining us today is Becky Burley, the head women's soccer coach at the University of Florida and the co-founder of the What Drives Winning Conference. Becky, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. I'm excited. So you guys have obviously spent a good amount of time dealing with very successful coaches, you yourselves, and um, you know coaches from the Division One ranks at the at all sorts of different schools. Um, one of our favorites from here locally, Brad Stevens, being a Central Indiana guy, uh, and some really good stuff at lots of different levels and seeing uh, great deals of success, uh, you yourselves and, and the guys you've interviewed. And this is kind of the final stage in our series of developing the complete program. When you guys hear leadership, what's kind of the first thing that comes to your guys' mind? Becky, do you want to take that one first? Sure. Well, first of all, I'm a big Brad Stevens fan too, and I'm not from central Indiana, <laughs> but, um, you know, for me, like I always think about leadership in terms of our team as, uh, do you make people around you better? And it's pretty simple for me, no matter what your, um, the way you do it, if you make people around you better then you're leading. And to just add on to what Becky's saying for me personally, it's, if you think about leadership, how much they influence the environment. The goal should be to maximize a team. And so how do you build an environment where people can do their best work? And what we've seen with leaders that have done it at a high level, it's how they define, manage, and model their expectations. And let's let's dig a little bit deeper into that. You know, I know in your in the book What Drives Winning, you talk about character development and that's that's a little bit more on an individual level to help get better results, to help achieve those results. What what role does leadership play from coaches and and even from players in helping get those best results or to get the best results out of those activities? We would ask the question to coaches, what's more important, character development? Or behavior management. And a lot of people will say character development, and we ultimately agree with that. Behavior management is right now. Character development is over time. And so when we think about how we shape cultures, culture is over time. Your environment is right now. So how you navigate the moment as a coach is where trust is going to be earned and lost. And so if you don't handle those moments well, it's going to be difficult to impact an athlete on a level deep enough that's going to change the trajectory of who they're becoming. And so for us, again, it just comes back to those three things. How do you define your expectations? And when you do that, that draws a line between acceptable and unacceptable behavior. And how do you catch above the line, convert below the line? And then are you the example inside your environment? And I love that you brought up 
continuously and and over a long period of time. Becky, what what do you expect out of out of your coaches and out of the the leaders in your program to kind of keep that process going to continually develop character over a long period of time? Well, I do feel like as the head coach, it is my job to really work hard at defining my standards. But I think it's the responsibility of all of us as coaches um, to manage, but more importantly, to model what we're talking about. Because I think if we don't, um, we're sending mixed signals that can get really, really confusing to our teams. We, we've had this discussion here of late of, you know, what takes those good teams to be the great teams? And the higher up you go, the, the margin of error is just so much smaller. Um, it's not these huge game-changing things you guys are doing. Uh, from good to great teams, what when it comes to leadership, what separates those good and great teams? So one of the activities that we like to do when we talked about it and what drives winning teams is what are the top three things that can get in the way of your team maximizing its ability? And what we do is we ask everybody on the roster to write that down. And then what we do after everyone compiles those answers, we then trend them out. And after we trend them out, it's interesting, we give them sticky notes and they write down their three issues on the sticky notes. And then we take it to a board and we draw a line down the middle and we say, okay, whatever your answers are, the left side is human related issues. The right side is sport related issues. Go put your sticky note on which side is relevant. And what we found is that the majority and the overwhelming majority that is going on the human related side, which is the personal interpersonal issues and less on the sports specific tactics and, and techniques. And Becky, you've done that with your teams. Yeah, I think it's crazy because, uh, you know, whether I'm doing it with my team, whether you're doing it with a collegiate high level football team, whether you're doing it with a high school basketball team. I mean, the answers are so similar, like the issues that come up are the human related issues that we all deal with. And I think that's what makes coaching kind of universal. Yeah, our sports are different, but what we're doing in terms of managing our teams is very similar. So if I'm a head coach listening to this episode, uh, before I can start you know, implementing some of these things with my team, I need to make sure that there's some things that I take care of on a personal level. I know, I know, Becky, you were talking about how with the with the bench cam, you guys keep an eye on coaches. But I guess even even more specifically, if I'm that head coach, what do I need to make sure that I'm going to kind of commit to before trying to lead my team on this journey? That's a great question because um, you know in the tool in the book what drives winning environments there's a tool that I love and it's just a simple statement it says if I want my team to blank then I need to blank and I, I keep telling Brett like we need to make this into like a practice shirt so you see it like every single day and not just the players but like us as coaches because yeah. for example if I want my team to be poised under pressure then I need to be poised under pressure. And I think um, that's something that just serves as a great reminder for all of us, players and coaches, in terms of what we're trying to model. Brett, what's the what's the first thing you would ask or you would tell a coach if you guys were getting ready to work together just from a, hey, you got to make sure that you take care of this before we move forward? 
Well, I, typically I start with questions. And so the, the people that I'm working with, I'm never really making statements or telling them anything. I think they would consider me more of a thinking partner than a coach. And so I would probably ask that same question. And to kind of piggyback off what Becky said, sometimes it's hard to see the label from inside the bottle. And so the more that you can get coaches to reflect on themselves and their behavior and their actions, just like we watch film with players, you can do that same thing with the bench cam with coaches. And one of the biggest challenges I see, and Gino talks about this in the book, is that coaches are hoarders. They hoard plays. So you could have five minutes of good action, but then you revisit the past the first time out, you have a chance. Yeah. And then taking the players back to that moment. And so if we want our players to have a next play mentality, then we need to have next play speed as a coach. And their demeanor can be seen through film on how quickly they're moving to the next play. I just want to add something to that because I think that's a huge point of discipline for coaches because, you know, I think as coaches, we always want to fix things in the moment and get, you know, get them on the right track. But the action of sports sometimes doesn't allow that. Like sometimes it's just most important to move to the next play as opposed to trying to fix what you're trying to get across. You know, you can do that in a film session. Maybe you can even do that at halftime or timeout. But I think it's difficult to do that in the moment when the action is happening. And I, I've caught myself doing it and I'm like, what, what am I thinking? Like, it's not, it's not even an effective way to communicate because there's a thousand things going on with the crowd, the action, everything else. And I mean, I've at times tried to coach a player while the action is happening, which has distracted them from playing, which is obviously not a great place to be. So kind of taking the next step, and, and a lot of our listeners are, are coaches. So if I'm a, I'm a head coach and I'm wanting to develop my assistant coaches as leaders, what's some of the best ways we can do that outside of, number one, giving them your guys' book and say, hey, read this so we're on the same page? <laughs> step two, what would you guys say? Well, it, it, again, I don't mean to be a broken record on this. I know that for us, when you're building an environment, how you define, manage, and model your expectations, I think that is where I would start. I think our work has really been shaped around five pillars, character development, shaping, repurposing the forces of sport to build stronger humans, behavior management, how do you build an environment where people can do their best work, priority alignment, finding perspective inside of the high-performance arena, and then ultimately team dynamics. How do you get your team to maximize its ability through battling the human related issues? And I would say like on a practical level, you know, one of the challenges of coaching is it feels like you're just going from one thing to the next always. So like one game to the next recruiting season, recruiting, like there's just doesn't seem to be much break. And one of the things that I loved about COVID was the fact that it gave us a pause where we had no choice but to pause. So like for our team, um, our staff, what we did was we actually went through the What Drives Winning Environments together. Uh, we have a workshop that we've created from the What Drives uh, Winning Environments book that's a digital workshop. And we went through that together. And I can't tell you like how insightful that was for us to do that as a unit and sort of see where 
we needed to make some improvements in our defining things. Um, we need to make some- let's let's challenge them. What do you say? <laughs> so what we do so this workshop she's talking about. So I'm going to ask you all this. So just first thought that comes to mind. What's your philosophy on punishment? How would you all answer that? The correction of inappropriate behavior. Yeah, I would say getting uh, um, fixing errors to get better. And so here's my challenge for you. So if I was working with you all, think of what you just said. So if a philosophy is a guide, what is your guide when it comes to punishment? Do you believe in it? Do you not believe in it? Do you exercise it? Do you not exercise it? What would you all say? I would say the the punishments. I love the look. People can't see it because they're listening to it, but we're on Zoom. So I love the look of pondering. Yeah, (laughs) I haven't thought about that. I mean, I would say when we're handing out punishments, it's because a player didn't show up on time and we're trying to say, this is not acceptable. We need to change your behavior. So we're going to make it uncomfortable so that you don't do this again. I don't know that. You know, we, we've always tried to be real big on when somebody screws up, that's not the time to get on them and to rip into them. You know, that's the time to coach them and to correct errors that were made. But if we're talking just a punishment sense, that's like you did something that's not acceptable, that's hurting the culture of our program, and we got to change the behavior. And who are you change, Who are you doing the punishment for? The individual or the team? To, so we're not going to allow this as a precedence. I would I would think both, kind of. I mean, it's important that that individual realizes it's not okay to just show up anytime that I want. But then, in the process of helping that individual, I mean, I, I think that the the culture is kind of the collective group of individuals and their attitudes and their expectations. So, you know, ultimately we're punishing that individual, I think with the purpose of the, or the greater purpose of improving the team. So, so think about how you're answering all these things. And, and it, this is a vulnerable place to be in too, my man. Yeah. I always get to ask the questions on my podcast. Yeah, he's flipped it on us. Hey, I like so it. Can I, can I challenge the one thing? So yeah. there's, if you can go and look the stat up, I don't, it, it might not be exact, but we think about recidivism and when people from the prison system are released, I believe within 10 years, 83% of them are back in prison. So how do you think about that? as it pertains to punishment inside of a team. I also teach in the middle school and, and just punishing punishment for kids. Um, does, does sending a kid out in the hallway or, or separate? And is that, what do they learn from that? Um, and that's not really a way of them, you know, actually learning the mistakes that they're making uh, to be able to then grow better. You know, at that age, working with, with middle school kids, that's when, all of this growth is happening uh, and they need that leadership of just throwing them in the, you know, out in the hallway or punishing them with a lunch detention or whatever. You're seeing that kind of thing. Same thing you're talking about with the prison system of they're just repeat offenders. Cause we didn't, we didn't um, teach them anything other than, Hey, what you did was wrong. No, I, I will throw in there. Like I'm thinking punishment. I'm thinking like Tavio Henson, the strength and conditioning coach says, you got a D run. They go put a 45 pound plate on the field house floor and they push it four basketball courts. And it's so unpleasant that in that kid's mind, he's like, I'm never going to be late again. 
and and I I do think that there's there's a little bit of impact there and, and but I think if it never moves past that and there's not that relationship built and that kid doesn't see I'm contributing to the culture it's not going to be as effective as it should is that is that right what would you say well what's beautiful is it's contextual so I I don't deal with right and wrong or good and bad much but when I listen to you all it stimulates a ton of thought for me and I think it's stimulating a lot of thought for you, which speaks to the power of these workshops. So to the discipline in what what uh, grade do you, middle school? Uh, eighth grade, yep. I love it. So we work with a school district in Texas, and they did a study based on some of the work that we're doing. And they they looked at 52% of the disciplinary issues were raised to the principal level that should have been handled in the classroom. And so they're trying to shrink that number and teach. And so if you think about the pushing plates, all I can say is that the higher the level you go up, you get to a space where consequences don't work because the people in the room will have more power than you. Sure. So can you imagine if LeBron James, when he's playing for Team USA, shows up late and Coach K said, get on the line and run a suicide? He'd be like, I'm donating my time. <laughs> like, that's, that's not going to happen. So what I found is the most sophistication um, that exists with management is how do you get people to take ownership of their actions? Because they generally won't sink the boat that they're in. And so when you increase the ownership, you're getting them in the boat, so to speak. And I think that the more collaborative you can be around standards, the more you can get ahead of things, which is exactly what Coach K did. And we talked about that with Team USA is the most important team building exercise he did was the, the night before they started. He asked everyone to bring one standard they wanted to live by through these moments together. And everyone brought one. And by giving them the ownership, you're no longer dictating the norms. You're asking for collaboration and setting the norms. In a high school setting, in a middle school setting where, you know, you've got some kids who are not as into the sport as LeBron James. How do you kind of how do you get them on board if they're still kind of on the fence of do I really want to commit to this? Am I really going to buy into this? I haven't quite made up my mind yet. One of the things that Daniel Coyle talked to me about, he wrote The Talent Code and The Culture Code. I don't know if you've all read that book, but he said that there's a difference between commitment and compliance and that want to gets 400% better results than have to. And so if I'm working inside of the grassroots system, which is where I spent 10 years of my life, one of the things that we said is we're only going to use questions to teach. And so literally everything was question-based because we wanted it to be a shared ownership. And what we found is the more they own it, the more it's a want to, as opposed to a have to. Yeah. I, I do think too, when you get to the point where the player is intrinsically motivated, then you really know you've hit it. And, you know, maybe in the question that you asked about how do you get someone there? It's like, well, what are they going to get out of the sport experience that benefits them? 
it, you know, for some kids, it's not to go on to get a college scholarship. For some kids, it might be, you know, the experiences they have with a diverse environment or the way that they can build character within their themselves through the environment. And I think that's where trying to create, you know, the win-win for the sport experience is really important. And it's interesting, guys, because I, I might have been uh, thought differently on even at the college and the professional level, what you think would motivate that athlete isn't always what motivates that athlete. And so there's a great coaching line from Jack Clark, why guess when you can know? And when you're teaching with questions, you're unlocking, especially if you can get to an honest conversation, what truly is driving them. And I, I know in, in this episode, we're, we're talking about leadership a, a great deal, but you know, in the in the previous episodes that we've had in this season, Jim Tressel talked about relationships with players. Chris Creighton talked about relationships with players. Tom Allen talked about LEO, love each other. The, you know, S- Staff Sergeant Middleton, even in the, the Marines leadership program last week, was talking about building relationships with the guys that are underneath you. What What role do you guys see in that? And that kind of player to coach relationship as you're, I know you talked about the process of building trust. What, what role do you see relationships playing in all of this? So I'm going to actually toss this to Becky because I, she is one of the relational coaches, relational shit driven coaches I've ever been around. The only thing I'll say prior to that is that the more power you accumulate, the less social sensitivity you have. And so some of these coaches are in really powerful positions, not making the money, even at the high school level, because kids view them as the broker of their dreams. So they have the seat of influence inside these kids head. And so if there's power there, sometimes they're not going to give you honest conversation because they're afraid of the consequences and how they're answering the questions. And so the more you can build safety around the honesty inside the relationship, the more those relationships can take off. And I think that's where Becky is brilliant. Well, thanks, Brett. (laughs) Well, I I just feel like that my philosophy, I think, throughout my coaching career is if if I'm invested in the players, then they're going to be willing to be invested in our program. And that's not like a quid pro quo. It's more just because I want to invest in them because that's who I am. And in return, the benefit that I'm getting is that, you know, they want to return that to our program in terms of loyalty. Um, I think that when it comes to relationships and safety, you know, it's really, really easy as a coach to think that when somebody does something that's not up to your standard, and especially something you've defined, like, well, it's all about you, like they're disappointing you, when really it's not, you know, that you're probably the last thing that they're thinking about in that moment. And to not take things personally allows me as a coach to get less wrapped up in the emotion of the discussion and just to have a discussion based in what the facts are and what's going on, as opposed to thinking that they're doing this to me. And I think that's a huge mistake that coaches make um, is, is just the feeling like it's all about them and not in a ego way, but more just like in a disappointment way. And I've, I've, I keep this little uh, thing of Q-tips on my table at my office and it's Q-tip for me means quit taking it personally. So if I ever forget, it's a good reminder for myself. 
It is a great reminder. And I know you guys love Brad Stevens. And one of my favorite lines from Brad is when he was asked, how do you convert below the line behavior? He said, I rebound for him. And so by investing the sweat equity, that allows him to build the trust necessary for him to understand what's truly going on in the background of this athlete's life. So then he can begin to nudge them in a more productive environment. And something that you might be able to use for your listeners, this is from Bill Beswick, who's a psychologist out of the UK. He said that, do your players find four things inside your relationship? Do they feel needed, listened to, cared for, and appreciated? And that tool, not only from a coaching perspective to the players, it's also a great leadership perspective because so many newcomers come in and the newcomers don't live at the level that the upperclassmen live at. And so sometimes the upperclassmen will try and bully those newcomers into the standard. But if you flipped it and said, do they feel these four things to you? That helps them accumulate the equity inside the relationship to influence them to move as opposed to force them to move. So shifting gears a little bit and one of the rich a, discussion. Yeah, no, it's like, man, it now we're way off script. What are we do? No, this is excellent <laughs> stuff. Uh, wonderful. Um, your newest book, what drives winning environments, um, the main purpose behind it, you know, share with us a little bit about what that looks like as a coach. Um, why would I want to grab this book? I think this is honestly one of my favorite books that Brett has written because it's such a, it's such a toolbox book. Like, I feel like there's so many tools, like for example, the one we talked about where if I want my team to blank, then I need to blank. Like there's a thousand of those in this book. And for me, um, like I said, going through that together with our staff and for me personally, as a coach, who's coached for, you know, 30 plus years, just to realize like, you know, Hey, I haven't defined that very well. So I need to go back and maybe reteach something as opposed to thinking, what the heck, why are these people not doing what I'm telling them to do? And so it's just such a good refresher if you're an experienced coach, but man, is it a great primer if you're a starting out coach. So that was, that's my next question for you. If you're starting out as a new coach, um, you know, which book would be best to start with? Should you go in chronological order from when they were published or kind of bounce around? Which would you recommend of, of kind of the order of reading through these books? Well, if I was going to answer that as a coach myself, uh, I love the original What Drives Winning for dealing with kids on an individual level. And that book sits in my office. It's actually right behind me as we speak, because it's something that, you know, if a player is struggling with, say, confidence, I can have them sit in here and read the chapter on confidence, which will take them less than five minutes, have them take notes on what their biggest takeaways are. And then we can sort of get a baseline of where we are with that discussion. Um, but then for me personally, as a coach, in terms of getting my program at the right place, I, I love the environments book. It's my favorite. I would ask the coach just what's the biggest personal struggle that not many people know about. And then based on that answer, what I would do is I would then direct them towards the book and then we'd start to knock off one at a time. And a lot of time that comes with priority alignment. I'm investing so much time in my team. I don't know how I'm being as a dad or uh, as a partner partner. And so if that was the case, then we would start with what's really important. I can't get my team. There's just, there's fractures inside. Then we'd start with what drives winning teams. Uh, leadership development. I really want to help my best player. 
understand that relationships matter. They're so task focused and they don't invest in their teammates. I'd probably start with what drives winning. And then ultimately, uh, where do I start? I'd probably start with what drives winning environments. As we uh, kind of wrap up here, we've got two questions that we always just uh, ask guests at the end. Um, the first one, knowing what you know now, what would you tell a first-year coach just getting started? Whew. That's a big question. I mean, there's so much you would want to tell them. Um, I think that I would tell – if I was, I'm thinking if I was telling myself this – I think I would tell myself like, this is, this is a journey. You're going to learn a lot along the way. Stay open-minded to continuing to evolve because your players are going to evolve. The environment's going to evolve. You're going to evolve as a coach. And if you're continuing to learn, then you'll, you'll be able to tackle any of those challenges. Mine would be a little bit more systematic. And this would come from Dr. Jim Lair. And I would say prioritize health. And he looked at health in four dimensions, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And physical would be diet, the fuel you put in your body, hydration, sleep. Are you getting a lot of sleep and exercise? And then the mental piece would be how much of the time are you fully present? Are you living in the future with anxiety? Or are you living in the past with regret? And then emotional, how are you processing the events? Are you processing them as threats or are you processing them as opportunities where you can be fueled by appreciation? And then lastly, the spiritual component is why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it for a purpose outside of yourself? And then the, the last question, if you could go back and give a four-year-old you one piece of advice, knowing that you've still got you know, your own athletic career in front of you, what, what would you say? Hmm. A four-year-old me, I hadn't even started sports at that point, but, um, I think, I think that, um, I would look at sports a little bit differently if I could go back and do it over again and think about how all the ways that I could take the lessons from sport and apply them to myself. Whereas when I was going through my sport experience, which didn't start until I was 10, um, I, I never realized, um, I never realized that until much later for me, it was just like play the game and the game itself was kind of the paramount importance to me. Like whether we won or lost was probably way too important to me. Becky, um, I'm just, okay. So my best buddy just had a, a, a kid and I'm just thinking like, I see how limited his vocab is. And <laughs> we did this thing the other day. He's one year old and, uh, I, Jason is, is my buddy's name. Uh, he, he just made a parody video where he filmed himself trying to teach his one-year-old about resilience. And he showed it through a bouncy ball and the kid just starts throwing it across. So I don't know if the, vo the four-year-old Becky would be able to have the vocab to understand what the heck you're saying. You're probably right about that. <laughs> I, yeah. And so if, if assuming that my four-year-old was gifted uh, from a vocab perspective, I would just say, um, don't let the outside, what's happening outside your body, dictate the internal experience and, and find a way to develop the strength necessary to have an inner peace amidst chaos and this ball 
will teach you everything you need to know about life and prepare you for adulthood. Love it. I can tell you for a fact, my four-year-old would not be able to process that, but I'm pretty sure that my first grader would have been good with your answer, Brett. It would be fun trying though. Yeah. It would be something. If right. you try it, film it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Will telling do. you, we laughed so hard. I had tears in my eyes when he sent me that video because he couldn't even get his his son, who's one, to like sit down. He was just wandering about the whole room. <laughs> Sounds about right. Love it. All right. Well, Brett and Becky, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. We, we greatly appreciate it. Can I say one it. last thing? Absolutely. End? We have such respect for what you guys are building. And, and the reason we say that, and quite frankly, we've not done a lot of podcasts up until this point, just because they feel a bit unnatural. But having spent 10 years at the grassroots level and then coming to the college and professional levels, the more athletes I deal with, they always anchor back into someone that impacted their life in an extremely profound way at that level. And it just seems to me that that level is so critical in building the strength necessary for when they get to the top of the mountain. And so for all the listeners out there, uh, we are inspired by you and the world might not know your names, but the people that you're developing who we, we know their names, they know your names. And I just, Becky, I know you feel exactly the same way. As I do. I mean, I can, when you were speaking, I was actually thinking of people in my life in that grassroots space that impacted me in ways that I hope they know, but you know, it's probably something I need to make sure they know. You guys always talk about having information and doing something with it is really important. And I'm going to say you should go to whatdriveswinning.com and see the free resources there. And until next time, make your plan and put it to work. <laughs>